Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Good morning, everybody. It is a joy uh, to be worshiping with you all. Uh, My name is Nick Price. I'm the senior pastor of Trinity. And uh, as Eric said, when we first started um, this morning, we are one church in multiple locations. So it's always a joy to get to come out to Galewood and to worship with you on the weekend. Uh, We are in this series that we are calling Letters for Exiles, in which we are looking at those letters from Peter, 1st and 2nd Peter. And uh, they're important letters for us because they help us to understand what it actually means to be the church in our modern times. It's ancient wisdom for us today. And what we actually saw in in 1st Peter is, 1st Peter is really about how do we relate to the wider world. That's really kind of the theme of 1st Peter. But 2nd Peter is a little bit more introspective. Perspective. It starts to ask, how do we become those kinds of people? How do we become the kind of church that actually interacts with the world in a way that points people to Jesus? And so he's kind of talking about ourselves, the kind of life we live, who we follow, what it means to actually live together well. And uh, that's really what we're going to be continuing in this morning as we look at that, uh, that chapter that was just read a moment ago. But I think it's only right that before we dive into our message, we take a few moments to allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the word that he has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord God, we do indeed uh, give you thanks that you have called us together as your people in this place that we might learn from you, that we might learn what it looks like to actually become the kinds of people who point people to you and to your grace for us. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you have for us. And God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight of God who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to start by looking, uh, before we actually dive into the content of 2 Peter chapter 2, by talking about uh, something that's kind of become a little bit of a cultural phenomenon uh, these days. One of the most popular podcasts uh, that's out there right now is a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. How many of you have heard of this? A couple of you have heard of this? Maybe you've started listening to this? For those of you who are not familiar with this story... The rise and fall of Mars Hill follows the career of Pastor Mark Driscoll. He is the founder and senior pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. And if you don't know a whole lot about Mars Hill Church, uh, here's just a couple statistics about them. Uh, Mars Hill was a multi-site church with 15 locations across four states. Their average weekend attendance was over 12,000 people every single weekend. Uh, They launched the Acts 29 church planting network with churches on six continents. And then they abruptly and permanently shut their doors in 2014 after 18 years of ministry. That's what the whole podcast is about, is that story of that church. 
And what's really, really fascinating as you go through, it's actually a hard podcast to listen to. But what you find is that, is that ultimately that the, the crisis moment came as more and more charges were being brought against Pastor Mark himself. It actually got to a point where the elders of the church got together and they listed these charges and they submitted them to the congregation. And this is what they charged Mark with, a lack of self-control and discipline, bullying, domineering, being manipulative with threats of violence, being arrogant, prideful, self-seeking, and quick tempered. And it's one of these stories where you see this just skyrocket of a church, this comet that just started to change the way people thought about church and about Jesus, started to change the dynamics of its city, and yet it all crashed and burned because of one leader. And sadly, this is story is all too common. I'm sure that a lot of you can think of ministries that were extremely successful, churches that seemed to be doing incredible work for the kingdom, and yet suddenly, almost inexplicably, they just fold. And one of the things that, that Peter says, actually, in 2 Peter chapter 2, is that when stuff like this happens, it does untold damage to the church and to the mission of the gospel. In fact, several times uh, in, in just this chapter, he calls it blasphemy. And, and one of those things that's really kind of funny about blasphemy is it just sounds like a really, really old word, and that's because it is. Do you know what the Greek word for blasphemy is? It's blasphemy. That's where we get our English word from. We literally just took the Greek word. But what it really means is slander. What Peter says several times in this chapter is he says, when this happens to churches and to ministries, the gospel is slandered in the world. The church is slandered in the world. Christians are slandered in the world. The name of God is slandered in the world. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how does this happen? How does this happen where you can get these incredible ministries doing life-changing, world-transforming work falling apart? And the answer, the the warning that Peter really gives is he says it all goes back to leadership. It all goes back to leadership. Because as the leaders go, so will go the organization. As the leaders go, so will go the congregation. That's his whole point. That's why he's writing 2 Peter chapter 2. He says leadership is very, very important. Now, let's be really, really clear about something. Peter isn't saying that leadership in and of itself is bad. The answer isn't, well, it's bad leaders obviously ruin churches like this, so let's just not have leaders, okay? We know that he doesn't believe that because he actually ends his previous letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, is all about good leadership. He says the opposite of bad leadership isn't no leadership. The opposite of bad leadership is good leadership. We need to have good leadership. And and he ends 1 Peter talking about what good leadership actually is. But he also wants to help us diagnose what bad leadership looks like so that we can keep our distance, So that we don't go the way that these leaders go. So that we understand what to look for. So that yes, we can be cautious. And yes, we can be wise as a congregation and as a people. Because when we're not, it leads to the name of God being slandered. To the gospel and its mission being hindered in our world. In fact, one of the greatest reasons why so many people say that they don't follow Christianity is not because of Jesus. It's because of his followers. 
It's because of the church that's supposed to bear his name. And so Peter cares about that. And he says, we need to be on the lookout to understand what, what it actually looks like to have good leaders. And sometimes what you need in order to do that is you almost need like a photo negative. And that's really what what's, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 is all about. Here's the photo negative. This is the stuff to stay away from. This is the stuff to be on watch out for. And actually what we're going to learn is kind of like three things as we look at this. First and foremost, he tells us the truth about bad leadership. He also then tells us the truth about ourselves. And then finally we learn the truth about Jesus. Truth about bad leaders, truth about ourselves, truth about Jesus. So let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Peter chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can kind of open up there with me. If you've got your scripture journal, you can go there as well. Uh, Let's just kind of take a look at, there's a couple of characteristics that Peter highlights when he says, when you encounter bad leaders, this is what you're going to find. These are the things to be on the lookout for. First thing that he says, and he actually says it several times, is he says that sensuality is one of the greatest marks of bad leadership in the church. Sensuality. Now, uh, this was kind of a fun one to try and find a visual for. I didn't type sensuality into a Google search, okay? I just said, let's just go with something tame like bad fruit, okay, or, or, or forbidden fruit. So you get an apple, okay? Because I'm not putting up any pictures that you might find on the internet there. Because sensuality, usually when we think of it, and, and we're right because it does mean this, is, is basically uh, sexual sin, Falling into things like adultery and cheating and sleeping around. This is actually what that word means uh, in the Greek. It's, it's indulging in those pleasures of the flesh, but it's actually much broader than just that. What it means is people who are driven to meet their own physical pleasures and desires, often at the expense of other people. He says, this is one of the key markers. In fact, of all the stuff that he mentions in here, this is the one that's mentioned the most. Bad leaders are out to satisfy their own physical pleasures, often at the expense of the very people that they're called to lead. And he says, this is something that you have to be on the lookout for because good leaders don't do this. Good leaders understand that they have a responsibility to care for other people. They understand that other human beings are made in God's image and therefore are not just objects that exist to fulfill their own pleasures and desires. But bad leaders inevitably fall into this. And it can take a variety of different forms. It can take things like, you know, sexual immorality is one. But it can also be basically just putting your own physical pleasure first before your flock, saying that that's what this is really all about. Uh, an example that was given from the rise and fall of Mars Hill, because Mark Driscoll, the one thing that he didn't do is he didn't sleep around. That's one of the charges that he was never brought up on, but he was guilty of sensuality, and this is what he was guilty of. There was a couple of guys, they were doing, he was doing a speaking tour in Europe, and uh, he was out there doing a speaking tour, and he had his team with him, and they were there to kind of like take the audio and the video and cut it together and then distribute it to their partners around the world. And so after the speaking gig, they all get in the car, and Mark's like, all right, cool, we're going to go back to the hotel, and they're going back to the hotel, and they pull up to this gorgeous resort and Mark gets out of the car and he says, all right guys, I'll see you later. But then they get taken to their hotel and it's this like really, really like roach infested like hole in the wall. And here's the thing, Mark's nice resort stay was on the church's dime. That's sensuality. Putting his own physical pleasures before others can take a variety of different forms but basically at the end of the day what it looks like regardless of who the leader is, as they put their own physical pleasures first before the needs of the flock. That's warning sign number one. 
Warning sign number two is greed. They see the church's funds as their own. They see the church as the thing that's going to basically provide them for what they need. They're often guilty of using the church's resources and rather than stewarding them well for the sake of the mission, they use it to line their own pockets and provide only for themselves. Now, again, we have to be cautious here because at several points throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes about this. He says, look, your leaders are worth their wages. What Peter's not saying is he's not saying if you work for the church, you shouldn't get paid. He's like, you should get paid, okay? Because you're, you're, you're serving the church. You're doing what you call the church. But what, what Peter's warning against is going over and above that. Not working for a wage, but actually taking all the money that you possibly can and sucking the church dry. Because at the end of the day, good leaders understand that the, steward, that the resources that are given to the church are ultimately meant to be stewarded for its mission. For the sake of reaching lost people. For making sure that we're meeting the needs of the communities around us. And whatever wages we take should literally be just so that we can live and then focus all of our energies and time and dedication wholly on the work of the church. He says, but bad leaders, they take it way beyond that. They use the resources that the church has given to line their own pockets. They see it as a, a get-rich-quick scheme. And many, many times what we've seen is churches burning out because of leaders who've taken the church's funds basically to provide for themselves and to only meet their own desires and needs. I, I'm always sickened. I'm sorry. I'm sure somebody can come up with a justification for this one. I can't. When I hear of pastors who bought their own jets, okay, I, I, or, or, they're, or they're driving kind of the latest and greatest, like, you know, automobile that easily costs more than my house does, you know, things like that. That's what he's talking about here. He says greed is the second thing you have to be careful of. Third thing to be on the lookout for in terms of bad leadership is a lack of accountability. Bad leaders do not want to be held accountable. They see themselves as in charge. Everybody serves at their pleasure, but they don't have to answer to anybody. And anytime anyone tries to hold them accountable, ask tough questions, actually seem to hold them to some kind of standard, they often rebel against it or shut it down. They're the ones who are very, very quick to silence any kind of criticism or critique and never, ever, ever allow themselves to be submitted to someone over them. Peter says, you got to watch out for that. Verse 10, they indulge not only in the lust of defiling passion, but they despise authority. It says, this is another warning sign that, you ha- that maybe you've got a leader who's unhealthy and dangerous for the church. It's one of the reasons why I'm actually really, really glad we're a multi-site church. I'm really, really glad that we have a governing board. I'm really, really glad that we have our staff team. Because of the fact that all leaders need accountability, myself included. Accountability is, to good leaders is seen as a gift because we understand that we have blind spots that have to be called out. We understand that we're, we're capable of falling into the same temptations as everybody else. And so we actually see it as a gift and a protection when we have people around us who hold us accountable, who know what's going on in our lives and are calling us to a higher standard. That's what good leaders do. Bad leaders rebel against that. They're, they are the you are not the boss of me kind of crowd. And last but not least, they are people who perpetrate lies and hypocrisy. Several times in this passage, he talks about like things in verse 3, like false words. Verse 13, deceptions. 
And then uh, in verse 19, promising freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Lies and hypocrisy. Now, here's the thing. This is, hypocrisy especially is one that I don't think we understand in the church. We typically mean, uh, when we think of hypocrisy, is like they don't do what they say. They don't live up to the standards that they're called to. Now, if that's truly the definition of hypocrisy, then it means that every single one of us in this room is a hypocrite. Because what's the standard that we're held to? It's Jesus, right? None of us is Jesus. We're all going to like fall short of that standard. We're going to spend our entire lives working on it. But when we talk about hypocrisy, what hypocrisy really is, is claiming to be something you're not. Okay, that's very, very different. Hypocrisy says that I have arrived. When it's obvious to everyone around you that you have not. That's what hypocrisy is. It's, it's saying that you've lived up to a standard, which really, in actuality, you don't live up to. And that's very, very different from humbly holding a high standard, but uh, humbly acknowledging that we all are still striving toward it, okay? So let's not throw around hypocrisy like we don't know what it means. Hypocrisy is when you've got those leaders who say that they've arrived, but it's very, very evident from their lives that they haven't. That's what Peter means when he looks in verse 19 saying, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. They say that they've arrived, but we know that they haven't. It says lies and hypocrisy is another thing to be on the lookout for. There are these four things that come up over and over again in this chapter. It's sensuality. It's lies and hypocrisy. It's greed. It's a lack of accountability. He says, these are warning signs. And when you start to see any one of these in the life of a leader, you know that you are on very, very thin ice. That's the truth about bad leaders, and you have to watch out for it. But the thing is, is we also have to get honest about the truth about ourselves. The reason that Peter is warning the church about this is because too often we follow them. The reason we need this warning in the first place is because we have a tendency as people to follow leaders who do this very same thing. And we have to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, why? Why is it that we follow after leaders who lead us down paths of destruction? And I think, honestly, it's because we live in a world where we actually exalt the person who exalts themselves. We live in a world where social influencers are the voices of authority, right? Have you ever stopped and actually thought about that for a second? Like before when you had to be a leader, you needed things like credentials. But now all you need today to lead is a crowd. It's about how many followers you've got. Never mind if you're actually doing it or have any expertise whatsoever. No, who's paying attention to you? And we love those kinds of people. We follow after them all the time. We exalt the people who look like they know what they're doing, who seem to have confidence, who seem to have a kind of certainty, and especially in times of turmoil, what do we look for? We look for the loudest, apparently strongest, most confident voices, but never actually stop to ask ourselves the question, wait a second, where are they leading us? And does their character actually reflect the Jesus that they say that they follow? That's what matters most. And here's how this can kind of crop up in the church. It comes in very, very subtle ways. I remember when I first started working for Trinity, just as kind of like a, a site pastor, and I, I discovered that we had a very interesting policy as a congregation. Because every so often, somebody would call the office and they would ask this question. 
who's preaching at my location this weekend? Who's preaching at my location this weekend? Is so-and-so going to be preaching at my location this weekend? Now, as a church, what we say is we, we never publish the list or tell anybody who's preaching that weekend. And the reason why is because we believe it's not the messenger nor the method, it's the message that matters most. So we would never tell people. But why do people ask that question? Well, because I like so-and-so. I have my personal preference in terms of a preacher. And that's who I'm going to listen to. And if that person's not going to be there, I'm not going to show up this weekend. I'll come next weekend. Or I'll go to the other site where that person is and I'll drive. Now we're getting kind of a similar question. Is it going to be a video preaching message or is it going to be a live preaching message? And you want to know what? We don't tell you. And we're not going to. Because it's not the method nor the messenger. It's the message that matters the most. But this is the subtle way that we do this is when we take our preferences and then we make that the gatekeeper of who we're actually going to listen to, here's why that encourages bad leaders and bad leadership. What if I'm the person that you're looking forward to listening to? And now I know that. Have you ever thought of what that does to a person's heart? We always say, oh, we don't want leaders who are puffed up. But who does the puffing? We do. <laughs> we're the ones who puff them up. But likewise, what if I'm the leader who, who isn't preferred? What does that do to my sense of calling and my sense of my, my role in this church? Well, it just destroys us. And yet this is what we do. It's, now, hear me very, very clearly. It's okay to say, hey, I sometimes connect with this preacher over that preacher. They just kind of like, they, maybe their life circumstances and mine are very, very similar. That's fine. But when that becomes the gatekeeper to whether you listen in the first place, whether you're willing to follow in the first place, whether you're even open to learning from a different voice or a different point of view, we've suddenly poisoned the well of leadership, haven't we? But that's what we want. I want a slick presentation. I want the best communicator. I want the person who's going to deliver me exactly what I need all the time so that I keep getting it the way I'm fed. And if I don't like it anymore, I'm going to go somewhere else. There's a kind of consumerism that feeds these kinds of bad leaders and nurtures this kind of environment. And this is why Peter's writing about this. He's saying, you guys need to be warned. You need to be just as much on the lookout for these kinds of leaders and these kinds of attitudes in your community so that that doesn't happen to you. Because here's the crazy thing about the rise and fall of Mars Hill and, and that church, or you look at any of the other ministries which have seen horrible burnouts, is every single one of those leaders had people around them that at any point could have said, we got to stop this. This isn't good. And it didn't happen. And one of the things that I, I heard over and over again in that podcast was people on the podcast saying, I should have said something sooner. I should have spoken up. We should have stopped that when we first saw it going. We all participated in it in some way, or shape, uh, some way, shape, or form. Peter's bringing this up because he's saying, look, if we continue to nurture that kind of stuff, we follow at our own risk. It takes the entire body of Christ to protect against that. Because leaders are just as susceptible as followers to falling into those traps. Guys, believe me, I know. I've been in this job for eight and a half months, and I know the temptation that hits every single week. And it takes, and I'm so glad that we actually have a church and a staff team that challenges for the sake of the mission, that pushes back and asks hard questions. Because we're doing 
2 Peter 2. That's good for us. But then it raises the question, so how do we actually protect well? What do we actually look for? And this is the, f- the third and final thing. We need to come to the truth about Jesus. See, one of the things, the way you kind of protect against counterfeits is you need to know the real thing. Uh, I, I heard a story a couple of years ago about the uh, uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, you know, those guys who have the funny hats and ride on horses. Did you know that actually they're on the front lines of dealing with counterfeit, uh, counterfeiting currency in, in Canada? They actually have a whole division that works on like identifying counterfeits, but you want to know how they're trained? In the early days of their training, they are never once given a counterfeit bill. They're only given the real thing. They get to know the real things, texture, smell, size, color, weight, till it just becomes second nature that when later in their training, they're finally given counterfeits. They just know off the bat, something's wrong about this. Like it just becomes second nature because they've spent so much time with the real thing that counterfeits are easy to spot. And I would say that the same is true here. Second Peter chapter two is one chapter about bad leaders in an entire book about the best leader possible. It's one chapter in this book about bad leaders in an entire book about the best leader imaginable. The Bible's key focus is on the only one truly worthy of following. And I love how the writer of Hebrews 13, 7 through 8 talks about this. He talks about good leaders and then the best leader. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, what he's saying there is he's saying, ultimately, the best leaders are the ones who follow the greatest leader. The best leaders are the one who follow Jesus because Jesus is the very antithesis of bad leadership. Instead of sensuality and seeking to meet his own physical comforts, he gave up the pleasures of heaven to enter our world. He embraced all the discomfort and pain of the cross in order to bring benefit and good to those that he came to save. Instead of pursuing greed and his own self-interest, he came and he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Instead of lies and hypocrisy, over and over again, Jesus came, truly, truly, I tell you. He came to bring us the truth because he said the truth would set us free. And, and instead of, people, of resisting accountability, what did Jesus say? He says, I only do what I see my father doing. And at every moment was subject to his father in heaven. Jesus is the very ultimate picture of what a leader should be. And the more we spend time with him, following him and his pattern of life, the easier it is to see just how fake the counterfeits really are, just how cheap the counterfeits really are. The calling here is to remember the one who has set us free from all of these things. Peter says that the the greatest leader in all of history loved us so much that he was willing to come and lay down his life for us and for the church, to cleanse the church and to make her pure and spotless. That we, though we quickly fall into these flashy schemes and follow bad leadership, he came to rescue us and to give us life and forgiveness and grace. And when we follow him, we know we're going exactly where we should be. When you spend time with the real thing, you see how cheap the counterfeits really are. 
Because Jesus came in order to give us life and hope. To point us in the direction that we should go so that good news continues to be proclaimed to all people. That's who we follow. That's who we're called to emulate. The one who gave his life as a ransom for many so that we might live. So I want to close by, by actually praying, praying that we would be a kind of church that, that not only reflects the one that we follow, but understands that we are constantly covered in his grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that in a world where we're told to follow the loudest, flashiest voices, you came in humility and love and laid down your life for us. You did this to rescue us from all those self-serving ways that we so easily fall into and to bring us a truly everlasting hope and invite us into a much greater kind of kingdom. And so, Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we've bought into the get-rich-quick schemes that are often peddled by so-called religious leaders in our world. And help us to truly follow you, the one who is our gracious and humble king. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.